Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Tiff Stevenson, who is a friend of the podcast, returning uh, here for this episode to talk about uh, why she thinks that teen television back in her day was so much better than it is nowadays and all of the issues that spring off from that in surprisingly deep branches. I enjoyed that very much. As someone who didn't watch television as a kid, I don't know if I had a lot to contribute, but um, we ended up having a really interesting conversation nonetheless, which I think is proof that you should have conversations about things that you don't know or care about, and you'll find interesting intersections um, with things that you do know and care about. I'm always confused in the modern world where people sort of only, I mean, I think it's one of the, the nature of, of the algorithmic sort of pushing of things that you're interested in, um, that we feel out of our comfort zone with, with topics with which we aren't familiar, or we have a passing knowledge of something and then we, we think we understand it. I think it's important to both talk about things that we don't understand and know that we don't understand them uh, and engage with things that we don't understand as though we don't understand them and see what we can get out of them or see where we can make connections. And anyway, this is me being moralistic and blithering. I will let you listen to the episode. Um, if you are a supporter on Patreon, just know that I am so, so, so grateful. Um, it makes my life and my work so much better, so much more uh, rich and fulfilling. If you are um, a supporter just by listening, thank you. It means I'm not talking into the void. Uh, if you recommend this to friends, if you if you tweet about it, if you give it a five-star review, um, thank you as well. That is huge support and it makes me feel uh, very, very, very good. Just good. It makes me feel good. I'm editing the Amazon special at the moment. It looks like I'm gonna to have to cut out the songs for various reasons. If you can, you can look on my Twitter and see my thread about where and why. But basically, what happened was uh, the show ran naturally to about an hour and six, and when we were recording, uh, I was told that they wanted about seventy-five minutes. So I let the show breathe and I put in a few new bits, and then they came back and said, "Oh, we're looking about sixty, sixty-five minutes." So I'm trying to find ten minutes to cut out. Uh, which you'd think would be easier than it has turned out to be. But that all aside, um, that's my current wrestle, is, is figuring out what to put in and what to cut out. And uh, it's, uh, it's a process, guys. I, d I don't normally like editing myself. Um, and the great thing about, about this podcast is that now I have Ben Wren, who does a, a lot of the processing of the sound for me. If anyone has noticed an appreciable sound quality uplift um, in the last year or so, it's been entirely due to Ben. Um, and I think we should all be very grateful for that. Uh, I know some people don't listen to every episode, so uh, if you haven't been listening to episodes recently, uh, the, the trilogy is still available. Uh, for free on any podcast download just google the alice fraser trilogy and also my my show's ethos and the resistance are both available on my patreon at the five dollar level you can subscribe at the five dollars and just remind yourself to unsubscribe at the end of the month or to drop your subscription level if you don't want to pay me five dollars a month um if you just want to pay the five dollars for the two hour-long specials which i think is good value um that's it i'll be in sydney in november i'm doing the canberra um, I'm doing Canberra on the 20th of November. Tickets are available for that now. I'm doing the 
gala, the, uh, the Montreal gala at the Opera House in Sydney on the 2nd of November. And I think those are all the things that I'm doing, but I will be up on Twitter. There will be other gigs that will emerge during that period of time. So at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I'm sorry for the extensive intro. I'll let you get on with listening to Tiff and I'll talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So who are you and what are you drinking? I'm drinking two drinks simultaneously. Um, I'm Tiff Stevenson, and I'm drinking a tea and a San Pellegrino Aranciata Rosa, the I mean, blood orange. When you say drinking them simultaneously, let's be clear, you're having alternate, alternating alternate sips, sips not, not, not both. Because that'd be an odd mix of flavours. Also, this is not cold enough. My uh, orange uh, is not cold enough. Um, and also, I am combining that with... Spicy chicken wings and M&M's. It's like... And a builder's tea. I'm so exhausted (laughs) that somehow all of these things seem to be acceptable to have at once. Yeah, that's allowed. I'm having a sort of a something called a Southern Sunrise, uh, a herbal tea from T2. Um, And it is uh, because it's now sort of 5.40 and I don't have your caffeine tolerance... (laughs) <laughs> so even if I had a green tea at this hour I would never sleep right or to be fair I didn't sleep till about half past four last night half four in the morning yeah and you went to sleep at like one-ish midnight I think midnight half past midnight um at my house yes I did <laughs> yeah. I stayed at uh, Tiff's house last that's night that's why I know what time she went to bed Tiff very benevolently looked after me yesterday yesterday was the anniversary of my mum's death so uh, we went and um, watched Inception. We did watch Inception because you hadn't seen it before. And I think I'd only seen it once and loved it and went, oh, yeah, I'd quite like to watch that again. Did you get more out of it the second time or...? I think... I think... I think the first time it's pretty... It's pretty amazing. Um, and so getting more, into the more world. About the spectacle. Yeah, and the second time round I was like, oh, I'm now going to blame every bad idea I ever have on Inception. <laughs> that somehow someone else has planted it in my brain and it's actually, I take no responsibility for it whatsoever. I mean, Laura has uh, quite a good thing about uh, jokes. You know, sometimes when you wake up in the night and you have a joke and and it leaves you, that it goes to somebody else if you, ah. miss, if you miss it. Yeah. Or sometimes, sometimes you'll see someone else do a joke and it, like you just know that it's your joke. You missed that joke and that yeah. should have been yours. Should have been mine. That had my name on it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so you see, I, I did. And I was falling asleep a little bit because I was struggling with um, intermittent jet lag. But I don't even know if it is jet lag. I suppose it is because it's not even a week that I've been back, so... Um, I think it takes two weeks before you're even... Like, you, you get from... You and know, I'm going to be going back there again before I get to, to find that. I think yeah. you get from 20% to 90% relatively quickly, but it takes quite a while before you're back at 100%. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. My, my body is in revolt. <laughs> what have you been thinking about recently other than jet lag? Other than jet lag? Well, my jet lag meant that I stayed up and... And I watched like loads of Heartbreak High because <laughs> I've been re-watching the show that I loved as a teenager. Mm-hmm. The American, I guess is it teen soap, but it was kind of more of a comedy, not comedy drama, more of a straight up drama when it's it first started. Right? Or... It's Australian, yeah, set in Sydney. And I loved it as a teenager, but watching it again now has made me realise 
<clears throat> or underestimate its brilliance. And then I thought today about how sad I am that kids don't have this kind of level of nourishing drama. And I say that because the characters in it are really flawed, but even the heroes are flawed, but they get to explore ideas in a way that I don't think it would be possible to in, in the current climate today, in our almost lack of willingness to allow people room to make mistakes and grow. Um, for example, there's a character in it called Pete Rivers, who is the school bully. Um, he's played by an actor called Scott Major, who I met at the Fringe, has done the Edinburgh Fringe and written plays and stuff. Mm. Um, he was quite well known in Australia and he went on to do like Neighbours and stuff. So he, um, his character is a school bully and he's awful and he's not with the popular kids. But there's a kind of coolness to him. However, he is a product of a broken home and an abusive family uh, where his dad kind of hits him. In one of the early episodes, the teacher that we're not supposed to like, who's the really harsh disciplinarian and sports teacher, saves him from the from going to the cop shop, as they say, uh, because they take him to be interviewed and he hasn't done anything wrong and because his family has a bad reputation and is he's always the first person that they come to to question when any crime happens. And his English teacher, who's slightly more naive, lets him go with the police. And then this teacher, who we don't really like, is like, you can't let that happen because they're going to... Um, they're going to have him in questioning. They're going to force a and confession out of him for something he hasn't done and that's how it works for kids like that because he's from the wrong side of the tracks and you you can't you can't let him go you can never let him get into that situation and then he pulls that pupil rivers out of an english class to repair his car as like payment and um i think his dad's a mechanic or something and she goes mad kind of going why have you taken him out of my classroom he needs to learn he's like he's 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 not smart like that this is the best way for him to move forward and have opportunities you know like he's he's gifted in this area and so he has this thing of trying to help this kid but also a realization that there are limits to how much he can change him and how much he's a product of his environment so i'm not explaining this very well but later on in the series across the series we get to we sort of begin to love rivers and realize that he's flawed and this is why he's a bully but then also he's like homophobic and he's racist but then he ends up dating this character Chucker from El Salvador. <laughs> and and so the easy way to write that would to be have him stop being racist. But he's not, you know, because that's not the truth and that's not the reality and people are flawed and they're learning and, you know. And so I just, I think there's a real, the ideas are presented in such a beautiful way. There's like, there's stuff about addiction, homelessness, teen pregnancy, homophobia, uh, um teacher-pupil relationships, um, racism, you know, all of these kind of issues, like uh, like uh, abuse in a relationship, domestic mm. violence, those kind of things are explored, but they're done in a way that it's really, it's really complex that you, because you, you, you have one of the lead characters, uh, Nick, played by Alex Dimitriadis, who hits his girlfriend in one of the episodes. And the judgment isn't that, like he says, I did it because I love her so much. And his teacher says, don't you ever say, you know, but he is able to learn from it. And his mother is, so you're given the backstory, his mother has died like a couple of months earlier. So he's lashing out with this rage and he's got ho surging hormones as a teenager and he doesn't understand or doesn't have a, a way to channel those hormones correctly, whether it's 
via some kind of exercise or fighting. So it's not done in an easy way, but it's realistic to how humans are and what teenagers are and how we learn. I don't know enough about television for That's a very long... I think this is an interesting interesting (laughs) thing. So you think that there is a lack of this kind of complicated writing that doesn't let people off the hook? Yes. Yeah, I think it's much more realistic with how we grow and learn as human beings. And growth is not perfect. Growth, uh, progress comes with struggle. Can you give me an example of kind of a modern show where you think that would be done badly? I don't even know. I mean, I know there's things like 13 Reasons Why. I mean, they've got Riverdale. We've got these kind of slick... The thing about Heartbreak High is I think it was quite groundbreaking because it had it was it was diverse, but it wasn't really trying to be. And, you know, the lead characters were there were all these diverse. But the point wasn't it's diversity. Yes. The point wasn't it. So there's a Lebanese character. There's a else, you know, people from El Salvador, that Salvadorian. Uh, There's Greek. There's Italian. There's a, a Vietnamese character who, in fact, falls in love with the Lebanese girl and then there's huge problems within that because the communities don't accept each other so um they're kind of like two different culture like a a culture clash between them and the idealism of young love but none of it's none of it's played easily like it's none of it's easily resolved it's all about there's no sort of meme sassy snapping fingers walking out moment no it's not done in this kind of like I don't want to say preachy but I do feel like that I feel like television now sometimes when it wants to try and make a point can really sledgehammer rather than let stuff breathe and allow us to see people's vulnerabilities and their flaws in a really um it, I, I don't know that that exists for kids if it does please tell me what it is but i i am um... it's an interesting question right because i think there's i see arguments like this around the place which are the arguments that by showing a particular kind of person or a particular way of thinking, uh, if you show that way of thinking sympathetically at all in any way, yeah, then it's uh, valorizing or it's platforming it. And I don't think that is necessarily true. But then I'm also, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Th- there is, you know, this data to show that the more familiar you are with a kind of person or the more you're familiar you are with an idea the higher you'll rate that idea. Yes. But I don't think that's true. Like, I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just going on my gut feeling, but I... I... So, for example, the the scene with, with Nick's character where he slaps his girlfriend around the face, I just, I don't think in today's current climate... You wouldn't be able to have a re- redemption arc for a character I don't like think that. you could have a redemption arc. I don't think there would be room for it. And that makes me slightly terrified. And I say that as someone who's a feminist, someone who's seen violence between men and women and someone who is, you know, with acknowledging the danger that men pose to women. But within this storyline, it is a a teenage boy whose mother has died and his girlfriend says, and she's flawed and imperfect as well, and she doesn't want to blame him. She's like, oh, this is really out of character and his mum just died. And also I was a bit of a bitch in the moment. But now I don't think we could have that back of going, no, you have to be very, very certain that you're not victim blaming, that you're not, you know. And the teacher kind of says that within the context of that. She was like, don't you don't you dare ever say that it's because you love her that you've done this. Yeah. And he, you know, he apologises from it. He learns from it, becomes better. And we're able to show that. I just, I, and also, well, to, so, there's a picture, isn't there, that builds up to this. It's not just an isolated moment. It's not just a man slapping 
a woman. It's a teenage boy and a teenage girl and two of them engaging in behaviour where they press each other's buttons and he lashes out violently in a way that he could have been more controlled over. But also the backstory is his mum died and he hasn't processed any of his grief. Well, I feel like that's one thing that's missing from the discourse now. And I haven't seen this show, so I, I can't say how you get to like this character again after he's done this bad thing or how you don't lose your respect for him. But in a lot of a lot of the discourse that I see now is very focused on bringing people's attention to the things that they have done wrong, bringing other people's attention to the things that a person has done wrong, publicising it, publicly chastising them, making them pay in some way, but there is no, there's no then. What ha- then? What happens then? Are yeah. they? Have we changed someone's behaviour or ideas? Well, it's this sort of t- Tinder mentality. Have I we think. moved things forward? So it's Tinder mentality. The idea that people are disposable. If you don't like them, you can chuck them out. Uh-huh. Because we're in a world now, and we're so aware of how many people there are in the world, how many artists there are in the world, how many actors there are in the world. There's this idea that you can just, if they've done something wrong, chuck them in the bin, get yeah. the next one, and. There's, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for, well, you know, that annoying old uh, asshole has been saying horrible things for years. Why don't we get rid of him and get someone else? But on the other hand, people aren't disposable in that way. People yeah. aren't disposable. There needs to be, like, one of the great things about the legal system is the insistence that you have a clear punishment and that then you serve that punishment. Yeah. Like that's what, you know, cruel and unusual punishment is is where you are in jail for an indeterminate period of time. That's one of the reasons why keeping refugees in offshore detention camps with no end date is torture. Yeah. You know, that's, that's abuse. Yeah. People need certainty, even people who've done wrong things, whether or not you classify seeking asylum as wrong, <laughs> which I don't think it is. No. But you know what I mean? That this, what's the redemption arc? What's the story that ends with this person being a functioning, useful, beloved member of society? Are they going to have a black mark against their name forever? Does that black mark ever turn into a grey mark? Yeah. What, what we, we, if, if we, as a society, are going to start punishing people in this way, we need to know what the limits of that punishment are? Yes. I think as well, I think there is a, and I think there is a difference between this boring as you described, boring old git who just says horrible stuff, who has relentlessly done it. And you go, oh, no, this is someone who thinks this way is never going to change their mind. Or someone getting something wrong and you going, oh, well, you got this wrong and here's why. And then allowing that person to not do it again. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, I mean, it's interesting that I, that I, I chose the slap to talk about because that's like a, a piece of physical, an actual piece of physical violence. But it was just, it was sort of shocking because it sort of struck, struck me um, that that just wouldn't, it probably wouldn't happen today without it being, um, yeah. Turning into a preachable moment. Yeah, yeah. Rather and than a teachable moment. Yes. And then to, conf- like... Yeah, like there's the there's a teacher who is kind of getting this like sort of homophobic abuse, and the same character. I think Pete Rivers sprays like slurs across his car, but then he apologizes at the end of it. So it's almost like I just think it's good writing because almost just when you get to the point where you think you're going to like this character, mm. 
he just fucks it up again so badly. But then he apologizes at the end of the episode. He's like, I did it and I'm, it was wrong and I'm sorry, you know, and yeah, I think that's, but, but, but we're all flawed. I've, I'd written here in my notes, it's imperfect characters growing, learning and fucking up again because that's life. And that's the age where you do have the fuck ups, right? When you are... Yeah, more, more, certainly more extreme fuck ups. But, or... but also throughout our lives, we should be allowed to make mistakes and learn and grow with understanding. There has to be room for that, I think. Yeah, but then how do you make room for that? In a world where it's much easier to just sh- block someone yeah. on, on all of your platforms or mute their name. I mean, I think I've said this, I wonder if I've said this on here before, but it was definitely something I tweeted where I was like, examining our kind of um, inherent biases and prejudice are like, in, examining our own are, are like sort of vital for a progressive um, society. But pretending you don't have any of them while like pointing the finger at someone else is what will undo us. So it's that idea that we, mm. there are people pretending they are perfect and then pointing at other people and going, look at their fuck up. And then hopefully if you look at their fuck up, you'll ignore mine. Does that mm. make sense? Yes, equally obnoxious though, I find the people who are like so self-flagellating. Right. I think this is something that plays into the um, discussions of... I, I think of green I, activism at the moment, where you oh, okay. see people talking about, uh, you know, extinction revolution, right. and saying, "Oh, they're you know they're cultists and all these." Like, obviously, I'm a believer in the environment and a believer that we're in trouble if we don't fix stuff. But the ways in which you hear those activists talking is is so self abnegating, so um, so self loathing, and you see that with. Uh, uh, white men who talk about being white men, of the guilt of being white men, and the shame of being white men, and that turns people off who might otherwise be open to this message. The, well, the sort of line between um, having privilege and being responsible for the privilege you have is that self-flagellating going hand in hand with pointing the finger at other people. Quite often, yeah. right? Because that's I I still think that's where the where the buck stops if it's self-flagellating and awareness of them this kind of thing but then going but them you know like well, i think there's a what, what's an example of where the climate change people are doing it because i don't know I'm, i might have missed that like the or just people saying we've ruined the environment oh, we have and we've right, right. destroyed it and you know this terrible thing that we've done but that's a collective we rather than an individual I have. Yeah, that might not have been the best example. I think yeah. it's the most recent example that I've seen. I think maybe another example would be the argument that you see between, say, let's say, Ted, who goes, I'm not responsible for being white. Why is it my fault that you know, India got colonised before I was even born? Why am right. I carrying the guilt of this responsibility? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. That's, did I say Ted? Yeah. And then uh, Ned over here who's like... Every punchline that he makes is at his own expense as a white man. Right, 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 right. Oh, okay, right. Which so that's what you mean by self self-indulgent. And, right. and they're both a little bit right and they're both a little bit wrong. Right. Yeah. So where's the middle ground? Where's the middle ground? How can how can you have those two people talk to each other and learn from each other? And what for me the point of of privilege is not to feel shame about it. Right. You, you should enjoy your privilege. We all have some privilege, one way or another, on some vector. Yeah. You know, if you might, you might be 
poor and, and a person of, of colour and, and non-binary or whatever, but you might also be really hot. Yeah. And that's a vector in which you have privilege, and you should yeah, enjoy yeah. that privilege and and really enjoy it in the way that you know that it's there and you know it's unfair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even things like a work ethic. Some of that's got to do with your biology. That's not something you can help being really diligent or, you know, some people are... Oh, okay. Really talented at music or whatever that happens to be, that's in their blood. And then they've also, so they've got this privilege and then what you do with that privilege I think is what's interesting. Just knowing that you have it, it's nice. It's not, not, not something to apologise for. It's then what do you do with the privilege that you have. What you do with it or an acknowledgement of it I suppose is some way. Well, deconstructing it, I don't, like understanding it is one thing but then like tearing it down in yourself I think is useless. You want to bring other people up to it. You want to figure out how to give other people what that privilege gives you. So whether that privilege is you walk into a room and no one's mean to you, then how do you make a world where no one's mean to anyone? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Or you, you, know, you walk into a, a shop and the security guard doesn't follow you around. So you have that privilege because you're white. You right. walk into a shop, the security guard doesn't give you the weird side eye, they don't follow you around the shop. How do you make a world where no security guards follow anyone around yes. the shop? Yeah. You know, when you're driving, you don't get pulled over by the police just because of the colour of your skin. Cool. That's great. That's a privilege. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy that and then figure out how other people cannot be pulled over by the police on... Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm making sense. But no, no, I, I sort of get it. I sort I of feel get like it. It, it, all, these, all these arguments are falling one level short of a complete point. Yes. It's like, so yeah. what? So what that historically white men have won all of these games and used, been cruel? What, 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 what then? What next? What does that mean? Right. Like, what do we do? Well, I think it is... There are steps, I guess, to but to even out the playing field. And I think, actually, one of the interesting things, again, to go back to the show... And it's is not like step out of the way, because that's not useful. No, it's it, one of the interesting things about this is that there's lots of different um, cultural backgrounds and communities in it that are Greek and Italian and everything else. But there's an Australian-ness that runs through it, where it's, I just want a fair go, give me a fair go, because there's like a gender equality thing about football, and then a lot of the time people are like, I just want a fair go. And I think that's what it is. I think it's about having the starting, tr- trying to get the starting line to be more similar for everyone. Mm. And um, because true meritocracy cannot be achieved if we're all starting from different points on the line, mm. like that, that's not how you get to true meritocracy. So if you're going, um, it's really hard to get into these positions of power and privilege within corporations if you went to a state school... Mm. it's not meritocracy it's people who went to the best school and have the right connections end up in those jobs yeah that's but that's always discussed as if that's meritocratic and that isn't meritocracy no it it is an interesting thing even in a handicap race so where some people are starting slower because they traditionally would move faster yes in a normal running race everyone starts on the same line and then some people are faster and some people are slower yes you're not putting weights on anyone's ankles yes yeah I don't. I, I don't know what the. I don't. Is. I just think there's a. I think there's a way of like. Like I'm, I'm very root one about it. I'm very just like treat people as people, but that yes. doesn't function on a policy level. Like it doesn't. Do we... it, when there's so much, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
when there's such an imbalance of power in certain areas. Yeah. That doesn't kind of help. And it's why that's the kind of thing of the same with panel shows and everything, where you do to a certain degree need to... Um, what I think what often happens with this, and this is when I uh, I think it's like, uh, especially attempts by TV companies and corporations and businesses to be performatively woke, um, where they... Um, they get some shit about something, so they go, oh, well, now we're going to announce to everyone that we're putting one woman on a panel show or whatever, whether that's the BBC back in 2014 or whether it's a corporation kind of going, we need to be more diverse with our models. That is, the, what you're doing there is uh, changing the, um, you're applying medication for a symptom, but you're not treating the illness. <laughs> So what you need to do is you need to go right back to the structural causes of this rather than, I mean, it's great to change the thing that's in the moment as well, but you also do need to go back and look at the ways and the roots in as to how everyone gets in to those positions in the first place and kind of go, where are we building from? And why does this, why does, why do these biases exist in this kind of way? So I can only speak to, it, I suppose, from women in comedy, I know that there were there are more men in comedy, but when we started out, there were an equal amount of women, but we weren't given <laughs> the paid jobs at the same rate as the men. So so many of us had to drop out because we couldn't afford to keep doing it. Also, women get when they're not good at something. <laughs> in a way <laughs> that men don't. Yeah. That they'll be supported in being very, very average or not great at a thing and can afford to keep. And, you're, you know, you must have watched that, like, when you started out in comedy. Or probably even now, there's probably a few guys knocking around that I'm like, why are you still doing this? You are not good at this. Whereas, like, I would say 90% of the women or 80% of the women who are in the game have had to get through so much. We've had to be undeniable yeah, well, that's just because women women are biologically better at comedy. It's biologically, yeah, we're biologically better at comedy. But um, so so within that, how do you change that? How do you change that system? So it's one thing, kind of at the other end, going well. We're putting more women on TV here, but ha which is great because it means young girls watching go. There's a if someone sees me on Mock the Week, there's a potential route for me to get onto that show mm. because I'm seeing a woman doing that show. However, are we going back to and what we're changing at that end is making it financially viable and it's capitalism. And, you know, they're all sort of moving together. But at the club level, you're like, what about the bookers of the club? So my club, I'm always trying to make it, you know, as interesting as a bill as I can, you know. And that means a mix of gender, uh, a mix of ages, a mix of uh, class background, you know. Um, political perspective. Political perspective, yeah. And... Uh, so, so, so I'm I'm trying to do this myself. But I'm a woman booking a club. So, how do we get those feeder routes? And those are changing now as well, by the way, because they're not. You know, that's why lots of women went to podcasting because they had to find other routes in, which is now becoming <laughs> this kind of male-dominated and the money being kind of you know, um, but. But I guess, yeah, so so I guess what I'm saying is we, we need to look at those routes. So we kind of need to go to the clubs and go, why have you got so few women on? Why aren't you pushing women through the system 
and getting women, not pushing women, but, but booking them at the same step, as... You go back to a step before that, which you hear regularly from uh, club people, which is um, that they can't find women because women don't email them at the same rates as men do. Right. Yeah, and I just, so I don't know, mean? I don't know that that's true. I don't buy that. I, I don't have I don't, any data on it. So I, 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 don't, don't I don't buy that as someone who books a club. I just... I don't buy it, and I know but times see, when I already, would have. This is the thing: you book a club, but you already have said that you deliberately book a. But wide I, that's range not of an a, that's not an announcement that I've ever made. No, I but don't it's go, I don't say. Yeah, but also. And so then that may be the the issue of. But the I've I've emailed clubs where yeah. I'd be like, maybe before I was on TV, or you know, before I was on TV, or even probably more recently, of kind of going. Oh, I'm looking for a weekend so I can hop up and try new or some doing Edinburgh or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'll email, you know, and then I'll look and still go, oh, there's a weekend there without a single woman on or one woman. Now, now most places might be edging up towards one woman. But I think I think women do do email. I mean, I mean maybe there's a thing of like persistence. But I but I do think. We, we try and get women, we try, I just hear that a lot. I think I heard it on Have I Got News For You. They were like, we try, what you mean is you try three incredibly famous women and then you just give up, <laughs> like, yeah. and say no women want to do it. And you go, here's a list of 50 women who've said they'll do the show. <laughs> but you don't want those 50 women because they're not famous. Yeah. Whereas, or is your show providing a platform for people who've been very good at comedy? You know, like Janie Godley did it. I think for the first time last year, and you're like, I can't believe this is the first time Janie Godley's doing the show. Describe Janie <clears throat> Godley for our listeners. So Janie is uh, a Scottish comedian, I think in her 50s maybe, late 50s, you know. Um, and uh, she is Janie's daughter, uh, Ashley, also does stand-up, and she's this very funny YouTube clips and stuff. Janie is a badass, you know. Like, Janie's the one who... <laughs> turned up at Turnbury with a Trump is a cunt sign you know she's um she does these political she's been doing doing it forever she's doing these political voiceovers but also she comes from like her mother was murdered uh was a victim of domestic abuse by was murdered by a boyfriend Janie herself was abused as a kid she's written a book about it I think called handstands in the dark Janie is totally uh a fucking survivor, someone who has, like, taken, you know, from her life and made into comedy and is funny and is, you know, in that way Billy Connolly is able to turn his fucking trauma into, like, really funny stuff. That's who that's who Janie is. Um, and Janie's been funny for a long time. And Janie just hasn't had, I don't think, had the roots in. I don't know. Maybe she'd disagree. Maybe I'm explaining Janie's story in a way that, you know, is not true to her. But I I think, it, you know, when you see her being interviewed and stuff. Um, so the fact that she's only... Because also she's doing these political voiceovers, these videos and stuff. So, But the fact that she's only done that for the first time and Janie hasn't done Mock the Week or Janie hasn't done Show... And you just... You relentlessly see... And I, you know... I, I'm i past 40 now, just in my very, very early 40s. But, you know, I, uh, I've i noticed that I'm less likely to get a call from certain channels, but the men will still be on those channels into their 50s. You're saying but women, men in your cohort. Yeah, so women... With similar... Women under 40, success. men 
into their 50s and 60s yeah yeah i don't i don't and it's but 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 also and if Janie gets her go now that's that's great because i think Janie should get all the goes because I, I just think she's great but um yeah the idea that the idea that she hadn't like you go that's where something in the system is broken you know because Janie is there's only one Janie yeah and you she's know, been so, very good for a long time. And she's been very good for a long time. So why is it taking so long, you know, uh, for that to happen? So so I don't know how we... I mean, she's had to go off and make her own roots and do her own things. But we, we, have, to fi- we have to find a way to make it better. And my thing is, like, trying to make it better for women who are coming through, but also better for myself as well. I don't want it just to be like I've laid all this groundwork so that... I can step aside and then women can just come in and I, you know, I still want to be doing all the things as well, as well as helping the next generation of women come through. Well, my thing that I'm doing is uh, saying that women are biologically better at comedy than men. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I mean, it's as true as the saying the opposite. Saying the opposite. Yeah. 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 I've also, I was persuaded by this for a long time and persuaded by that, um, deadly attractive idea that you're special right yeah as a as a female comedian i'm doing something that other people can't do that other women can't do i'm special right that's very attractive and appealing that i'm an outlier i've always been different i've been bullied for being different and so you make that a badge of pride and then those are any argument that appeals to that this idea that you're extraordinary you you embrace that idea and the reality is you know these arguments that i i swallowed in my time and was like, yeah, that sounds fair, which is, you know, boys in school uh, use funny as a form of aggression and they use it as a form of building themselves up. Uh, It's a status thing for men. It's a a mating tactic for men. Um, And it's not for women. Women have other mating tactics, i.e. being hot and having a good hip-to-waist And laughing at their jokes. And laughing at men's jokes. And uh, that, 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 uh, you know... men have a higher risk tolerance, right? And so that's why they go into comedy, which is a very risky career, right? All of those arguments, they sound really plausible and they're quite convincing, and I was convinced by them for a while. Then let's let's take my uh, now my decision to now insist that women are better at comedy biologically. Women are better at communicating. Women are better at assessing subtle cues, which is a huge part of comedy, mm. uh, reading the room, Women yeah. are better at that. Women are better at making people feel good. Women are better at compassion uh, and, and, and nourishment. Uh, women are uh, better suited to a long-term career because they have this, uh, they want to build a stable career because they have a biological urge to have children, right? Uh, women are better at lying. Uh, women are easier on the eye, so you should be putting more of them on stage. Like, all of these things have... A counterpoint that you could make an equally yeah. persuasive thing. Women, women need humour uh, as a self-defence mechanism to defuse violent situations in a way that men don't. Yes, uh, you know we have fight, flight, or <laughs> that's so funny. That's uh, those, all of those things are, are part of us. Uh, as if you want to be biologically essentialist about it. Yeah. Well, and women are. The whole I, argument is. I probably anyway. said this on here before. I'm sure I've said it on your podcast before. But yes, women are better observers. 
and back to hunter-gatherer tribes, women would look for the prey and men would chase after it. <laughs> so we are, you know, when it had female lines women, they were like, you know, there was a lot of like kind of sexes, like how can they? And I was like, women see everything. Like, yeah. if you've been in a relationship with a woman, we see everything, we hear everything, <laughs> we remember everything. Why you think, because we're such good witnesses, why would you think we're not good observers? Yeah, and well, if An anyone, observational comedy. Anyone who's ever argued that a woman has twisted their words against them has just presented you with the argument for being women being really fucking good at wordplay. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but then again, so putting... I think if you kind of bring up both of those sides, they sort of cancel each other out. Yeah. They're equally persuasive slash non-persuasive. And then you come back down to... But one of those arguments has been around for longer and more entrenched as an ideology. Yes. That it feels more real than the stuff that we're saying because people have heard it more. Yeah. As opposed to looking in that free economics way of going, can we look at this set of data in a different way and come to a different conclusion? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, exactly. Where, you, where Giuliani, they had a great one where Giuliani took credit for there being less crime in New York when he was mayor and they were like, actually, peak criminality because of Roe versus Wade. Uh, like, so there were less unwanted children also- being born that would m- reach peak criminality. So that you could also say that reproductive rights are yeah. what have what have dropped another, New York's violent crime rates. Is another it, you know, massive thing was a reduction in lead piping. Right. So the less lead in the water, uh, lead in the water apparently is associated with higher levels of aggression. Ah, so that's interesting. when they switched out lead pipes for plastic pipes... Um, Everyone chilled the fuck out. Yeah, people stopped murdering <laughs> each other so much in the streets and... All of that stuff, the, the, re, the, the answer, of course, is that there is no clear answer. There's a whole web of different things that play into it. And there's, there's things that you can fix. You can make it, uh, for example, safer for women to get to gigs and back from gigs. And then that, like, the, the appetite for risk suddenly goes away. Yes, yeah. Um, that, that, that element of it or whatever. But I think in the end, people are people. Comedians are weird people. Yes. And... You can have. I have more in common with a male comedian than I have with a female banker. Yes. In so yeah. many ways. So what? Why are we carving up these slices along one plane rather than along other planes? Why is the? Why are these the things that we're using to select ourselves against each other? You know. Yes. Yeah. There has to be a way to create a more equal society and a more forward thinking. But I think what all that means is being able to have discussions that involve nuance, that delves into the grey areas and, mm. and looks at the whole picture rather than sweeping... Oh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, kind of sweeping moral judgments one way or the other. So, for example, when I had the... Um, having my show, a whole routine about Starbucks, about a pregnant woman being refused coffee, and I... Because I tweeted about it when it happened... And the response to this, I talk about in the show as being, I unpack it because there were three very distinct responses, which I believe gives us a window into how society sees women Mm. and how it's okay to police us and what we do. And within that, I'm not saying anyone who's done this should be shot in the head Mm -hmm. because they're a misogynist and fuck off and die. Like, I'm kind of going, that didn't happen, people, where you're like, oh, no, no, like... 
this has never happened to me, so therefore it's never happened to anyone. So you, there are men who go, my subjective opinion is fact. And you go, you, you do realise there are other people just that aren't you, that exist in the world and that have different experiences. Yes. So you're wanting to battle that your subjective <laughs> viewpoint is, is factual and everything else is... I've, I've told this story before on the podcast and it's one that I think is just just worth saying again because it's such a such an interesting one. Uh, there used to be a guy who lived near where I used to live and he would hide in the bushes and then he would jump out at you and fling little bits of foil and um, and newspaper. Oh, I think you told me about would, this on he here. He would yeah. quote uh, Bible verses and call you lots of really rude words. Uh and I was walking along with a friend of mine who is, you know, six foot something, massively built. And normally I would walk the long way round to my house. Um, to avoid it, him. To avoid this jumpy outy man um, because it would always just give me a nasty shock every time I forget. I'm sometimes absent-minded and I would forget and this man would jump out and give me a shock and I'd remember the next time. But I was talking to my friend. I was distracted. We were going the most direct route home. I saw this man in the bushes, went to put my hand on my friend's arm to warn him so he didn't get a shock and saw the jumpy outy guy clock my big massive dude friend and like bloop back in Retreat. on himself like an like you know like a like an, em- an anemone yeah, yeah just all of his little like he just went straight back into his hiding pose and we walked on and it was this amazing thing, because I'd always thought this man was sort of like a force of nature, completely off the planet, clearly had mental health issues to the point where I wasn't a person in his world. I was just a trigger for this this expression of rage and confusion. Uh, and then I realised that even though he was completely off the planet, non-functional as a contributing member of society, he still had enough survival instinct to, to not do it to a guy. Not do it to a massive dude. <laughs> and then I thought, in my friend's world, that man doesn't exist. Right. That experience doesn't exist for my friend. Yeah. He lives in a world where that guy isn't real. That guy isn't real to him. However, you live in a world where various things don't happen to you, but you can entertain the idea that they happen to other people. Yes. Yes. So if somebody <laughs> tells me that a... That, uh, that someone dressed as a pigeon came out and tried to put their head up your skirt, Yeah, I would go, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? Cause so, and so the, 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 the through lines, one of the other through lines from this was like, why are you trying to get this guy fired? And I was like, because isn't this just the society we live in? I was like, I'm not trying to get him fired. I'm absolutely not trying to get this guy fired. Um, I haven't even said his name. Mm. Like, and then people were pushing me for the place that he worked. And then Fox News was like, and I was like, I don't know. It was on the services. Like, is it this one? Is it this one? I don't know. It doesn't really matter anyway. Like, the point is, the best outcome from that is that whoever the manager of that Starbucks was saw the story or heard about it that day during the thing. Because the woman, I think, maybe complained as well that... And I didn't even complain. I schooled him in the moment. That's what I did. Like, when it happened, I was like, I can't believe you're doing this. Stop. And then I tweeted the story, and I just thought it was a funny story. My intention there was never, and never said it in the tweet, and never said it in anything of, like... And this is where both sides are as bad as each other. It was like, you're trying to get him fired. And I was like, how? How am I trying to get him fired? 
the best outcome is that his boss goes up to him and goes, by the way, it's not it's not your job to tell a pregnant woman what she can or can't have. It's your job to serve the customer to the best of your abilities. Yeah. And if you can't, you know, I think as I say in the show, if you've got, you know, your job is serve the, that shit coffee and spell the name wrong. If you've got an overwhelming interest in the female reproductive system, save for your spare time or get a job in politics. <laughs> <laughs> that will be a good path for you, right? So... So, but but also, I'm allowed to comment on things or talk about things in a way that doesn't have to. The end point doesn't have to be this entirely, like, well, what do we do? It, but what do you want from this? Nothing. I just I want to tell you that it happens. It happens quite a lot. So I'm not saying the guy should go to prison. I'm just saying, just why don't we behave like reasonable people and think if it's acceptable for you to deny someone a drink that they want to purchase? Yeah. Because well, you don't I, trust their own judgment as to what is good for them. I mean, what you want from this is that fewer people will be that kind of busybody. Yes. You know, that's that's the outcome that you want. You want that man, if he sees a, a pregnant woman trying to order a coffee next time not to ask her if she thinks it'll be okay for the baby. Yeah. Because he's a stranger and you don't get to Mind do your that. fucking business, dude. That's all it is. Mind your business. Yeah. Your you business is serve the coffee, not question why they're having the coffee. Yeah, well, and you, don't get to be, <laughs> you don't get to, to be working at a Subway sandwich and uh, shop and say, well, should you really be having bread? Yeah. Like, that's not how it works. Although, to kind of complexify the matter, if you're at a pub, you have a responsibility to tell people if they've been drinking too much that they need to stop. Yeah. I mean, in Australia, there's a law that you can't serve someone who's visibly drunk. Who's visibly drunk, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, again, I I think... Which complexifies the issue. (laughs) Yeah, but one is a a licensed substance and the other isn't. The other is is a caffeinated beverage. Well, maybe it should be a substance too. uh, um, But but also, um, within that, I think I say, I don't mind... Oh, do you want me to make you a decaf? Like, I didn't mind the first question because... There could be there, have I got the order wrong? I just want to check because I don't want to give this woman coffee if she didn't order coffee. Ah. And that's fine. It's the red, it's the interrogation. You're not allowed, you're allowed because it's bad for the baby. I just want what's best for the customer, all of this shit. And I'm like, she knows what's best for her, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I like, that's the joy of stand-up for me is like kind of throwing up those ideas and having those discussions and kind of going... Where is the line of, like... Because people are like, oh, he's just doing his job. And I'm like, that's... Like I say, it's not his job. But where is the line of individual responsibility? Where is the line of collective action? Um, And why does individual responsibility so consistently seem to tip into controlling women and we don't do it with men the same way? Like that we can judge that men can be more responsible for themselves or we trust them to make decisions that we don't trust women to. Yeah. Even though for centuries women have been having fucking babies. Yeah, and is <laughs> is that down to a social thing or is that down to a biological thing? Do we think of men as more disposable than women or less important than women? Is it a kind of a reverse bigotry? Because you get that as well. Yeah. Uh, or is it that you feel entitled to women's bodies in a way that you don't feel entitled to men's bodies. I think maybe both a little bit. I think when Um, you flip it on its head, you see how ridiculous it is. Yes. That's when you get to see when you kind of go, oh, like... When I go... I have at various times briefly been in gay bars with friends 
and the entitlement that that gay guys feel about women's bodies I think is a really good example of kind of how society feels about women's bodies. If you strip away sexual attraction, the idea that a gay guy uh, can come up to me and, and be tell past, me, past remarkable, comment on my body or yeah. ask to touch my boobs or whatever that is, that I think is kind of society stripped of, stripped of the kind of heteronormative um, rules. Yeah. This is a stranger who feels entitled to my body because it's a woman's body. And it's right. interesting in these ways. Yes, yeah, yeah. As a fascinating object. Yeah. Without any desire towards it, you mean? Kind yeah. Kind of like as a... Yeah, I mean, I had... I mean, I have, I, have, I have friends who definitely don't do that. Gay friends. But then I've also had gay friends who definitely do do that. And to a degree. Yeah, and I'm, again, I'm not And to a degree. A, but, but, but I know what I'm you're saying. I'm absolutely not making a broad sweeping yeah. statement about no, gay No, 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 of course. Anything, of course. But, I, but I was just... Because I was just thinking about some of my closest... But, you know, they've they've been around a, a while. Yeah, they just don't have that. But then also, you know, I had one of my closest friends for years who was very much always just like grabbing ass and tits and it was desexualized, so it doesn't mean anything. But also it is... And it didn't mean anything, but yeah, 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 yeah. Diminishment yeah. of you as a person. Yes, yeah, exactly to that. your component parts. You slut accompanied with the phrase you slut yeah 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 exactly um so it's it's um i know no i know you're not saying that so i'm not doing that thing of kind of going um of kind of going you're making a broad stroke i was just sort of thinking through my own oh uh, yeah, yeah i wasn't yeah. making a broad thing yeah. i was just using that example but yes it's a good it's a good it's a as good as a thing that struck me yeah, as yeah something that is it struck me because these are people who at least um according to their identification don't view me as a sexual object well uh, but um, they still somehow view me as an object the stephen fry thing on um on uh the last leg where they were talking about uh again i don't know if i've said this on here but they were talking about ring card girls and he was like oh it's time to get rid of these like pneumatic women where he's just dismissed a whole body type you know using the aldous huxley word pneumatic for this kind of voluptuous big boobed kind of um like ugh, they shouldn't exist and i'm like but i may not find you physically attractive but that doesn't mean that i don't want you to exist yeah is it it's time to get rid of like older you know tubbier gay men or whatever do you know what i mean like i don't even know if tubby's the right word so you, you know what i'm saying sorry, just to clarify you when you were uh younger did a lot of kind of modeling -y stuff well i did i was a i was a oh i don't know if i'm explaining this very well um i was a grid i was a grid girl and so it was modeling it was we wore cat suits with red ball on the side of them and so it's this thing of like ban grid girls, but I was like, I, I feel like you're just again. This is attacking. So it's a particular body type, which is massive tits, <laughs> which is slim with big boobs or voluptuous or curved. Yeah. You know. Um, but also, this is one of those. Here we are attacking a symptom rather than going back to the structural problem. So everyone patting themselves on the back and going, we've defeated misogyny and sexism by banning grid girls 
when essentially what you've done is taken mostly working class girls out of a job. Now, were they being objectified? Sure. Were they modelling? Yes. They're wearing like, you might think they're slightly trashy cat suits with Red Bull down the side. But what you haven't banned is Vogue and the objectification of women in that. And those women tend to be less working class. They're like the Hadids, the Kardashians. They're all from moneyed families, like used to be like Lady Victoria Harvey back in the day. They're all doing Stuart Weitzman shoe adverts and they're completely naked. So unless we ban objectification totally mm. which we and start hanging clothes on the backs of chairs and just hangers without models in them, then then objectification is going to exist. But it was okay to ridicule that type of body because it's a working, like, because it's a voluptuous female body, mainly working class women, and you're kind of going, they don't really matter. I don't know. In the same way they go, well, page three's done. So that's that fix. So cool. And you go, oh, okay. I I just, I'm sort of, I'm losing something here with with how you think this is fixed Anything. Anything, yeah. Do you think getting rid of the page three girls has fixed anything? I don't know if page three girls still exist. I think I don't know if they do still exist or or, or what. I do think it me it's a certain type of woman that's being kind of that's being targeted in a way that it's not feminism has so become this kind of voice of I don't want to say like I don't want to attack women, but it's a very middle class like kind of the issues and the who's bot like whose bodies are vulnerable and whose bodies are up for grabs and at the same time what your roots are out beauty privilege some of sometimes like if you're good looking as a working class girl one of your only roots out of your environment is to use your looks to your advantage because yeah. you don't have any of these other maybe it is an element of 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 this thing of of part of huh part of being in the position of being able to criticise things requires you then, requires maybe more from you. If you have the power to have these kind of middle class, I mean, the d- discussion of these things is, is is a luxury. If you have right. time and energy to think Well, like, I think it was on things. Last Leg, it was like four, it was like all of the boys and then Stephen Fry. And I was like, so you're just discussing this thing that affects women. And also, like, Stephen compared it to, like, black and white minstrels. And I was like, this is such an off take. Like, how is this minstrelry? These, what? These these are women just... With their real bodies. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't understand. But also, like, it's time we got rid of these pneumatic women. I'm like, you're, you're saying it's time we got rid of a body type. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's okay. I mean, sometimes, you know, and I think Stephen Fry is brilliant. Then sometimes he says stuff about women, which is just a bit tone deaf. And the frustrating thing is, is there was no one on the show to challenge that idea or talk about it in a more complex way rather than a congratulatory aren't we all great we've done this yeah I think maybe my kind of dream world or my ideal world is a world where you're allowed to have these and this is a debate that's coming up a lot at the moment of like offensive comedians that you're allowed to have offensive comedians on the bill. You, you're allowed to have somebody who's doing the equivalent of take my wife, please, and aren't Greek plumbers unreliable. And then you follow that with somebody who is right on woke, Nanette yeah. style. And then you follow that with someone who is reading out an absurdist poem while wearing a boob hat on their head. And then you follow that with somebody... like. I think you can only have proper freedom of speech 
if you have variety of yeah, speech. Yeah, variety of speech, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe that's what I'm arguing for. I, I want a world where the power differentials are uh, equalised enough that anyone can say anything. Well, I used to say to guys, you should want equality in comics. Like, then you can go back to doing your hacky jokes about women being shit. And it will be fine because there's <laughs> there's an equal amount of power. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like no, if, I absolutely. So, and that's when, you know, then everything becomes up for grabs. But we're just, we're kind of not there and we're moving towards it. And it's it's very messy. I think I, w- I was saying earlier on Twitter that I, I sometimes wish I could let go of or care less about how I look. Mm. And the package in which my, um, that I could just be this kind of like, the packaging doesn't matter, I could just be this vessel for pure thought and like ideas and jokes. But the reality is those ideas and jokes don't get heard unless they're presented in an attractive package, preferably young. Yeah, yeah. So so it's that kind of thing of fighting to get through. And, and women have this more than men. Like men aren't diminished as much with their social status and their work status for their age and their appearance as much as women are. Not as much. I, I think there is some as well. But, but look at Adrian Childs and like Ian Hislop and people like that, you know, that you go, well, you can just be older and you can be... Like not great, and you you're still there, and I just I'm struggling to see the female equivalents of those. Maybe Janet Street Porter. Yeah, and the other thing that I see uh, not much of, which I was thinking about, that I was thinking about the other day when someone said, "What do you want your career to look like?" and I said, "I'd like my career to look like Stephen Fry's." Obviously, he's already much more famous. He was already much more famous at my age than I am, uh, and I'm never going to be as famous as Stephen Fry. But what I meant by it was that he gets to do a bunch of different things and nobody says it's off-brand. Yeah. The idea of being a polymath in public is something that's available more, as far as I can tell, to men than it is to women. The idea of being someone who can do a serious documentary and then something funny and then, you know, an a quiz show and then play a hacky bit part on The Hobbit and then... And no one goes, oh, that's... Yeah. What I, I get consistently, I get this question from people when I do a Q&A or whatever, of your voice on the bugle is very different from your voice in your stand-up, is very different from your voice on tea with Alice. How, which one's real? Oh, they're, they're all real. You, they're just different facets of my... Yes, can't I be all of those things as appropriate? <laughs> yeah. Then, I, yeah, I don't know. We, as comedians, part of our job is to be self-aware and part of our our job is to present ideas in a palatable way. Can we argue with an audience that wants us to look a certain way or that's going to find it easier to absorb our ideas if they're in a certain package? And by a certain package, I mean not too sexy, not too unsexy. Yeah, I I feel like... It's kind of like the male comedian who said <laughs> that real feminists don't wear makeup. And you go, well, you know, we all have to exist within. Yeah, it's like saying real socialists don't pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> obviously. Um, um, but it, but it, that's the problem, isn't it? It's it's like with fame and visibility, with all of it, you just feel like there's a. Um, no matter what you do, if you have more visibility, if you have more fame, if you have more followers, if you have more, then more people will hear the ideas. Yeah. 
if they're presented in a package that people find appealing, more people are going to see it and hear it. Whether more of the right people will see it and hear it, I don't know. I mean, when I did that tweet, someone replied going, uh, those that matter don't care and those that care don't matter. And I'm like, no, because those matters. that ca- everyone matters and those that care are the people booking the TV shows and running the publishing companies and all of those other things, you know. So there is a thing of like, that's, it's the... What's the word I'm looking for? I want to say dichotomy, but it is the the eternal struggle of human existence that we do care about how we look, and and to a different well, we degree care, for we men. We care about how we are perceived. We care about how we're perceived, but how it, we're received, and there are ways in which we can adjust that um, that don't seem to be relevant to men. Yes. There are jokes I can tell when I'm 10 kilos heavier or 5 kilos lighter that I cannot tell at this body weight. Yes. And I know that through trial and error. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what do I do with that? Yeah. How is that part of what I have to think about when I'm writing a joke? Yeah, it's frustrating that... Um, and look, showbiz isn't fair, but also... If it could be fa- if it can be fairer for men when it comes to age and and kind of like physicality, why can't it be fairer for women? <laughs> why can't we just have that like you know? Or we just start banning men from TV once they're over forty. That's the other way of equaling it out, guys. You decide. I think you're probably fine. Just book me for more TV. Um, Where can people find you online? We have to wrap this up. Um, you can find me uh, on tiffstevenson.co.uk. On Twitter, at Tiff Stevenson, and on Instagram as well, when I can get it right. And your specials are available. Oh, yeah, I've got a one, Madman is on Vimeo, so you can download that. And I think I'm going to be recording Mother pretty soon. I think I might be doing an audio of Bombshell and a recording of Mother. We'll see. Um, Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> um, whether that be, it might be, I might be recording it in America. But anyway, you, you can find me. You can find Tiff. Thank you so much for having tea with me. Thank you. Mistress, we have got Elsie 
storm, sun, it is her name, and she helps the door hoppers at every frame. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doppers, cry up your ends. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doppers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifle doll, lally rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally rifle doll, lally rifle day.